1: Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Dino larsen sending to you live Tuesday, the 1st of November. Today, we're going to ask the question whether it's time to sort of play the Chinese reopening game. Uh, and yesterday, we hosted the green chicken, Mr. Doomberg, for a chat on the underlying logistics behind the energy markets. But today, I'm happy to be joined by Tony Greer, one of the best risk takers I know in energy space. So let's move the discussion to uh, price action in energy space shall we tony it's uh, good to see you again andreas you're too
2: kind my man
1: you're too kind what's happening in the markets today Well, it's been crazy again. (laughs) At least we've had a lot of headlines, uh, both from the um, Biden administration, but also from the Middle East. And I basically wanted to get your take on a few of the most important headlines over the past 24 hours here. Uh, First of all, we've seen the Biden administration warning oil companies of a so-called windfall tax. Is that something that's on your radar uh, when you are assessing whether to be long energy or not?
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to be on my radar, Andreas. You know, we have to keep an eye out on how the markets react to headlines that come out like that. You know, today uh, Biden issued that statement right into a set of really strong earnings out of refineries. Um, That we may as well start with that point while we're there, if it's all right, Andreas. I mean, you know, the Biden administration makes that statement about windfall profits in the energy industry, not really understanding that's the market that sets the clearing price for gasoline and diesel fuel and everything else. So um, it just demonstrates a further misunderstanding of the markets by the Biden administration, but it also leaves them with a lever to pull, right? And quite honestly, if he does, you know, place a new windfall tax or something like it on these companies, that it probably would be initial short-term black eye. Um, we'll see how the price action reacts to to an actual statement, but, you know, they're they're going to be swimming upstream against all the buyers at the moment, Right. Uh, Andreas, you know, Marathon comes out with a quarter this morning, um, $7.81 earnings beating $7 estimates. They had $47 billion in revenues beating $41 billion estimates. They ran at 98% capacity for the quarter. They ran at a throughput of 3 million barrels of crude oil a day. Their operating margin doubled from the quarter last year to um you know, roughly thirty dollars a barrel. They raised the dividend. They're working on the stock buyback. I mean, if you would think that a stock would take off to new all-time highs on a report like that, trust your instincts because that's exactly what Marathon did today. So you've got the refiners leading the space. You know, you've got Exxon and Chevron reporting last week and and carving their way to new highs. And once again, you look around at the year-to-date S and P performance, and energy is really the only game in town. So while I do I definitely respect the Biden administration's, you know, comment about the windfall tax. It's all about how the market reacts to it right now. And given there's still such, you know, you nailed it this morning um, with that thread. If you don't mind me pointing that out, Andreas, you know, the, the, the main story in town is the shortage in diesel fuel. You know, and you went out, you went through explaining how the Northeast refineries aren't able to make up for um, some of the shortages in refining capacity because we're not allowed to float it on boats um, up from the South on foreign boats due to the Jones Act. So there's a couple of things that come into play there. The bottom line is crack spreads are still wide, Um, calendar spreads are still wide because inventories are low and the sector is very much set up for success. Tony, let's take a look at the calendar
1: spreads and the crack spreads because they are obviously important uh, in terms of assessing profitability in the refiner sector. Uh, what do you make of the most recent price action in calendar spreads and crack spreads?
2: Well, calendar spreads, we just saw uh, you know a pullback with the pullback in price. You know, everything really backed off to a a, a backward dated level of a technical level that it you know found support at. And, you know, the calendar started widening from there, you know, and then you look over at the diesel spreads like you and I have been talking about. And you see Novi D's diesel trading out to, you know, $90 in the one month contract. So we're talking about, you know, a massive spread explosion. We're talking about, um, you know, the discussion that's actually taking place at the White House press briefings is that they have gotten wind that there is only 25 days of diesel supply left. On the market, so that's going to be really interesting, right? To to get to that moment and figure out what it means to not have diesel supply left. Um, but as you would imagine, once again, trust your instincts because the ramifications are dire if we run out of diesel fuel. So I think that's the driver of the oil market. You know, we had this other headline about a potential Iran attack, uh, Iran attack that you mentioned earlier, Andreas. You know, that puts me really on edge. That's definitely going to lend an underlying bid to everything fossil fuels, whether we like it or not. And you know, that's the type of headline-driven market that we're dealing with right now. If that's fair to say. <laughs>
1: Tony, if, if we watch the price action across equity sectors uh, throughout October, uh, we can basically conclude that October became uh, one of the best months over the past year or so in, in equities. What do you make of that price action across sectors? Is it something that you're tempted
2: to join? Well, really interesting, right, Andreas? You know, we got to a point where the markets were, you know, uh, Jared Dillian pointed out the best that we had a really negative sentiment, a bubble and negative sentiment. I mean, it was really, really dire down there at 3,600 on the lows. Um, You know, we saw all the market barometers, you know, do the things that you would expect them to do when sentiment gets as dire and negative and fearful as we just lived through in the past several weeks with the VIX up in the low 30s right? What happens from there is that, you know, eventually cooler heads prevail. It seems like, you know, the semi coordinated actions of the bank of England, the bank of Japan, the PBOC in turning the one around last night, all of those are starting, all of those finally added up and we got that relief rally in stocks that we expected. So Uh, You know that that rally didn't shock me really much at all, given how oversold we were, given the put call ratio, given the AAII bear sentiment was all thrown out of whack. So now, you know, we get. It's really amazing to me, Andreas. Today is a really kind of magical day in the markets that, you know, we tested all the way up to the 100-day moving average in the S&P. So it ran about 400 points off the lows right into this you know, pivotal moment now. We've got an FOMC meeting tomorrow. And the, S- and the S&P simply fails the 100-day moving average resistance level and backs off in another reversal type of day. So this is the kind of back and forth that we've come to expect with volatility elevated. And I think we're going to have to see what the Fed says tomorrow. And I don't like to make too many calls ahead of that. But so far, so good with the recovery rally. I think it's still in motion.
1: Earlier today, um, we saw a headline for the White House um, essentially stating that Joe Biden has given his thumbs up to the pivot from the Federal Reserve. That was at least the initial headline. We saw a market reaction in the U.S. dollar uh, ultimately right after that headline uh, made the rounds. What do you
2: make of that headline in the context of the Fed meeting tomorrow? I'm going to be honest with you, Andreas. I didn't understand it when I first saw it come out. And then I read a correction that said that they were trying to say that the administration was supportive of the pivot in hiking rates. And I'll be honest with you, maybe you have the right story, because I know I definitely don't. So I don't know what they were trying to say by that headline. And I'm afraid to really try to, you know, dive, dive too deeply into it right now. I really don't know if that's the right idea.
1: I, I think you're absolutely spot on, spot on, and the market basically corrected right after the correction from the white House yeah. uh, came out. So um, I guess it was basically a non-story by the uh, end of the day. Tony, if we, if we look sort of beneath the surface of the S&P 500 across sectors, um, it sounds like you're still upbeat on refiners and energy overall. Uh, but uh, if we look towards the other end of the spectrum um, on tech,
2: um, do you think the tech sector will still suffer into the winter here? Yeah, I do, Andreas. You know, I look at the month of October and um, you know, the rotation was it was really eye-opening. You know, we saw 20, 25, 20 and 25% gains in sectors like E&P and oil and gas and cannabis. Um, we saw the natural resources spaces, airlines, aerospace and aerospace and defense rally sharply about 18%. Sectors rallied over 10% in October, included metals and mining, industrials, financials, consumer staples, and healthcare. So that was a cyclical bonanza of a recovery last month. I didn't see technology anywhere in the set of leaders from October. It doesn't shock me that even with the Twitter deal going through, that social media is still the worst performing sector of the year. Um, I still think that that's going to continue as long as upward pressure on rates continues, Andreas, and no matter what kind of uh, respite we're looking for out of the Fed or no matter what kind of pivot anybody is looking for, one thing has not changed, and that is the steep upward trajectory of two-year yields. So that's kind of the thing that, that's scaring me a little bit where you know yields paused at their highs and jiggled around a little bit when all the central banks showed up. And once again, the natural market forces tend to prevail when the central banks go to sleep. And we come back and test those levels again. So I'm a little bit concerned. Um, I don't think technology is going to be able to participate at all this year. You know, it may be something to grab onto for a percentage gain in the retracement rally if the Fed has some positive, uh, incrementally positive comments that the stock market reacts to. You know, there might be some trades to grab there. But i tell you, I'd much rather belong the sector that's got stocks carving new all-time highs on earnings days like the refiners did today, or at least like Marathon Petroleum did today. I think that that is where the rotation is going to end up. And I think that once people make the decision as to whether they are going to pitch, you know, their um, – their Google or Apple or Microsoft after the beating that they took this year. I think that the people that do are going to find their way into the fossil fuel and energy sectors because they line up as fundamentally intact, structurally intact with a lot of lot of tailwinds behind them. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on.
1: I uh, wanted to play a soundbite for you in relation to this discussion on uh, equity subsectors. Uh, it's from a uh, discussion between uh, the former hedge fund manager Deshi Felder and uh, Maggie Lake on the relative pricing of energy versus other sectors from a multiples perspective. So let's uh, watch it and get back to that discussion.
0: I have been bullish on energy for a couple of years now, really since uh, you know, there, there are signs, right? There, when, when you've been in this business long enough, when you find out you hear things like Exxon Mobil's being kicked out of the Dow, that should perk your interest in in looking at energy stocks. When they become taboo to own, when they literally use the term uninvestable, that's something that should perk your interest as a contrarian and and. So I think the the oil and gas producers are are still in area they trade they trade four times cash flow right now. Um, I mean, in contrast to the top five biggest tech firms, I call them Manta: Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia, Tesla, Amazon, still trade fifty times free cash flow, um, even after the the declines they've seen this year so you're paying 50 times for companies that are seeing a structural deceleration in their growth and and these kinds of things and and profit margin contraction as well um and then you have the the most profitable companies in 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 the market now fastest growing companies in the market now energy stocks trading four times cash flow and so there's a disparity there uh
1: The entire interview with Jesse Felder is already available uh, at the Real Vision platform for Essential Plus and Pro subscribers. And it's from our Make or Break series, a tremendous series if you ask me, so go and watch it. Uh, But back to you, Tony, Um, Jesse's point here is that the energy sector is simply cheap from a cash flow perspective when you look at multiples such as price earnings. Uh, What do you make of this discussion on multiples in a sort of long-term perspective uh, for an equity portfolio?
2: Uh, well, I'm not really a multiples trader, um, but I did make a note to send Jesse a little private note to tell him I love him for bringing up those facts about the ENP stocks because they are, you know, as plain as you can see, if you are looking for value trades in the market, that is where the value trade is to look. You know, for years and years and years, it was the, it was the growth trade that we were financing with 0% interest rates. And as plain as the eye could see, that was the technology market. Now that we've got higher interest rates and the world is focusing a bit more on hard assets and, and things that come out of the ground and inflation hedges, et cetera, it would make sense that we go directly to the best inflation hedge in the game in the oil markets to you know gain some exposure. And the fact that the stocks are trading at these low multiples historically, just makes that story all the more attractive to me, Andreas. And you know me, I'm I'm a technician, I'm a technical guy and a, uh, a price action junkie. So the valuations don't actually mean that much to me and they never have. But at the same time, I like having that factoid in my back pocket.
1: Yeah, makes sense, Tony. Um, One thing that I wanted to discuss with you as well today is the price action that we've seen in China earlier today, because we've seen quite a rebound after a story emerged that the Politburo in um, China allegedly um, formed a so-called reopening committee. Um, aiming at reopening the Chinese society from the zero COVID policy in March next year, uh, is it something that's on your radar when you are watching the price action in commodities?
2: You bring up that great point, Andreas. You know the, the the China's policy on COVID has been a direct economic indicator, hasn't it? So you know it's always been that looming possibility when you know risk assets are bouncing and you've got the trade on right to think to yourself oh no you know what if china locks down another 40 million or 400 million people or whatever the case may be um you know then i'm really in trouble so it's it's quite a relief to see that they're discussing you know ending that zero COVID policy or or at least you know moving toward a reopening etc like you said um i have a tough time getting a clear read on the reports out of china but i can tell you if this is the case then this is probably a net positive for risk assets when all things are said and done
1: Makes sense, Tony. Uh, but if we look at the spillovers to commodity space, uh, I know you've been pretty um, active in tweeting about the copper shortage over the past couple of days. If you look at the price action in copper, um, I think that's kind of linked to to what's going on in China. What do you make of that recent price action?
2: Yeah, you know, recently copper hasn't been able to get out of the gate on anything, right? Um, you know, my, my interest in the chart is in the fact that it pulled back from 10k to about 7,300, which is the old highs from 2018 that we couldn't get through until after the lockdown. Um, and then we went on that run to historical highs around LME 10K. So the reason I like copper down here is that we pulled back to that set of old 2018 highs, which is really something that jumps onto the front of my radar screen, especially when it falls to that level, volatility compresses. Price action goes back and forth and it forms a range down there that kind of hugs the 50 and 100 day moving averages. So when I have that kind of a technical backdrop, a fundamental backdrop of essentially all stocks on the LME in a a steep downtrend um, heading toward historically low levels. And I pair it with, you know, Freeport McMoran CEO Richard Atkinson last week who is probably listening to all the plans for net zero and battery capacity being built. And he's looking over at global copper supplies saying, I don't know where they're going to get it from. So. You know, I, I feel like that's a little bit of the story that he's trying to tell, and and you know that's a nice story, and it doesn't really mean anything until it translates into a copper rally for our trader, our purposes as traders. So you know, I've I've gotten my book ahead of it by being long Freeport mcmoran because Freeport exhibited the same exact characteristics that um, copper just did, pulling back to some old highs kind of lulling everybody to sleep and going into a sideways consolidation range. So I feel like, Andreas, all it's going to take for copper to pop at some point is, like you said, first, the China story is probably first and foremost. If we can alleviate that negative, that probably, you know, takes away some headwinds. Um, And then if we can get, you know, the risk on story back going and a little bit of economic growth going um, as long as we keep pressure on this electronic vehicle, um, you know, net zero push, I think copper finds a bit at some point, and I'm willing to be patient um, waiting for that because I like the risk-reward down here, if that's a fair setup, Andreas.
1: Tony, what's what's needed um, before you get involved in land, that long copper trade? What are some of the indicators that you're watching price-wise?
2: Yeah, I'd love to see it close above the 100-day moving average, Andreas. You know, it's bearing down on it. It's been holding the 50-day kind of a either side. Um, I think that a technical pop above the 100-day would break the recent range tops. Also, I think that price is probably uh, just below 8 k on the LME. So, you know, that that gives me a little room. What happens on the charts there, um, Andreas, is I get a little bit of a, you know, technical angle to hang my hat on. And I can start moving a little bit of money toward the space and see if I'm right. You know, it doesn't have to be an all-in-at-once trade um, all the time. You know, you get, you know, you get these opportunities where a commodity pulls back to critical support, lulls everybody to sleep, starts trading sideways, and you get the opportunity to sit there and watch it and twist Oreos until the thing finally breaks out. So I think that copper has that kind of potential and so does Freeport-McMoran. So we'll see what happens.
1: Uh, will do. Um, but if we watch the uh, positioning in copper, it, I think it's quite interesting to uh, to look at the CFTC futures data in copper because the net positioning is fairly short, sure. at least if you um, compare it to other parts of the commodity complex. Is that something that's on your radar? This positioning across the commodity complex, Tony?
2: Yeah, it is. You know, I get I get mixed signals from the uh, Commitment of Traders report personally. You know, there's a lot of upstairs risk on derivative products that's created and does not get mentioned in the Commitment of Traders reports, but it's really huge risk that's also out there. Um, I do believe, though, that they are generally giving you the right direction when they lead short like they are in copper right now. And that that's something that, you know, with this particular situation, that's not a short that I'm ever going to follow, especially into this hole. Um, That people are adding to it down 30% from the highs right against the 2018 highs. Um, If anything, I like the short being out there just to know that the views are balanced in copper and my idea that it's going to bounce from here isn't, you know, the consensus in the room. So that's really the only way I look at that, if that's fair, Andreas.
1: Absolutely. And one thing I've noted is that, at least if we look at the uh, commitments of traders' uh, positioning data, that we have a very large spread between the uh, long energy bet and the short uh, bet on industrial metals. Um, It's not something that we see too often uh, because they usually follow each other up and down uh, given the economic cycle, right? So this is, uh, as always, a new cycle. um, And therefore, uh, we find these interesting patterns also in positioning data.
2: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Tony, if you um, watch the price action in uh, energy stocks versus energy commodities, um, what's your take on whether to play the long game in stocks or in the fiscal market, so to speak, um, at the current juncture?
2: I tell you, I've been a fan of the stocks. I'm long the stocks. I've been upsized the refiners um, in my book, in the Navigator book for a while. Um, so it's great to see Marathon Petroleum trading to a new high today. Um, but I have to say, I got off track, Andreas. What's, what, how, how do I answer this question correctly again? I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I knew I was I, going to say and I dropped it.
1: <laughs> no worries at all, Tony. I just uh, asked you whether you wanted to be long the physical market or uh, long the, uh, the stock market in the energy space.
2: Sorry, sorry. I, got I know exactly where I left off in my head now. The idea, um, I've been st- sticking with the stocks. What you're seeing now blatantly, in my opinion, is weakness in physical oil because of the SPR seller. Right, We're seeing diesel prices remain bid. We're seeing diesel spreads run away like a runaway train. We're seeing oil bobble around either side of 85. But we've got a battle going on. Right, We've got the only seller in town that's Joe Biden and the midterm oil reserve launching that into the market. You've got Prince Abdulaziz over in Saudi Arabia at the head of OPEC noticing the severe difference between the paper and physical markets. You've got Saudi Aramco printing their second highest earnings report ever today. So obviously they're having no problem getting paid on the offer for the crude oil they're selling to Asian clients. And, you know, it feels to me like the commodity is the one that's going to snap back and catch up this time. Right. The stocks have been soaring in the face of the S&P, which has largely been under pressure. You've got a situation now where the commodity WTI is under its 200 day moving average and the stocks are well above their 200 day moving average and soaring away. So I think at this point, Andreas, it's my my bet would be that those jaws kind of snap shut and you see crude oil catch up dramatically to WTI. Sometimes, excuse me, crude oil catch up. To XLE sometime between now and the end of the year, but certainly right around the turn of the midterm elections.
1: Uh, yeah, watching the price action in, in crude oil, Tony, uh, we're pricing just below ninety dollars here uh, today. Uh, what's what's your take on sort of the most recent range and uh, whether it's sort of a break of the downtrend that we've seen since early summer?
2: It's a battle. It's a battle royale taking place right before right before our eyes. It's Joe Biden trying to sell the SPR and lower the gas price before next Tuesday. And it is the members of OPEC that are saying, what the hell is this guy doing to the physical oil market, to the paper oil markets when we have such a strong physical oil market over here and they have one over there? So I think that that's one of the more, you know, uh, th- that's one of the better looking trades on the board that I want to chase down. And I'm not taking my eye off of that one around the turn of next week. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. So um, looking ahead for, uh, for, for next week, uh, we obviously have the midterms coming up next Tuesday. Do you think that will be a game changer for the energy market overall? Or uh, what's your takeaways?
2: You know, I'm anxious just for the, for the dynamic of getting the election behind us, of seeing what it means for Senate and the House and, and really seeing what it means for the SPR news. Right? If, if you're studying the oil markets like we have, you've identified that really the only big seller in town is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. So I got a feeling that if that seller lightens up, lifts or slows down the selling pace, like the Goldman Sachs analyst alluded to today, we might see oil right back at $115 in no time. The thing that has not changed is that we are likely to get less Russian exports and we are likely to get a continued pressure on, uh, excuse me, a continued attack on supply here in the U.S. What we know is none of that is changing. So the longer we delay investment in the e space, the longer it's going to be before oil prices go back to normal.
1: Tony, let's move the discussion to natural gas. Uh, We've seen uh, quite a sharp retracement in the uh, Henry Hobb natural gas price in the U.S., uh, but we also have an ongoing discussion on whether the U.S. should continue to export loads of LNG to Europe, given that the price has exploded to the upside in the U.S. as well. Uh, What do you make of that theme? Is it something that's on the radar for the average voter in in the U.S. uh, that the price of energy in the U.S. uh, rises as a consequence of exports?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that the uh, average voter makes that connection, Andreas, between natural gas prices and baseload power. I think, unfortunately, the average voter thinks that the power just comes out of the wall, <laughs> like they try, like the mechanism they try to sell you the electronic vehicles with. So I don't know if that's going to be a midterm or an, or an election issue. Um, I, I know that it's worth watching. And natural gas, to me, you know, like, like, like. Um, there was an article at CNBC on CNBC.com today that was really clear about, you know, Europeans have gotten storage under control for this winter, but next winter is really what we have to worry about already. And that's kind of the way that I've approached it is that, you know, the Dutch TTF natural gas trade is long over for now, but the crisis still looms right? They haven't got any, uh, they've got no solution for next winter. They're obviously going to have less Russian supply than they did this winter. And they don't know at what price they're going to have to go in and attempt to fill their tanks up for next winter. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that you have to be waiting around and waiting for something to happen. Um, It's definitely a really bullish and precarious scenario. It feeds right into the food costs spiraling out of control, It feeds into the U.N. um, food chief saying that we're going to go from having a pricing problem this year to having an availability problem next year. You know, all of that flows down into the cost of baseload power going ultimately berserk in a lot of emerging countries. And so we're going to be seeing that front row and center, unfortunately, next year, how that crisis is going to pan out.
1: Let me just sneak in a cliffhanger here. We will air a couple of killer interviews on the European energy situation early next week at the Real Vision platform. Uh, we've invited Alexander Stahl, one of the um, main commodity experts from Switzerland, uh, for an update on um, on the storage situation and all that in Europe. And uh, you're absolutely spot on, Tony. It's next year. Uh, that's the main worry now. And um, the numbers don't add up next year. Well, I'm, I'm uh, going
2: to be leaning on you to keep us posted because you had a great call when Europe was filled and uh, natural gas prices, we're still at 150 euro per megawatt hour, Andreas. So keep that pencil sharp, my man.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll try my best, Tony. Uh, let's move to a uh, couple of uh, questions from the audience. Um, we have a question from, from Gordon on the Real Vision page, and um, he's asking you, who do you think will eventually pay for this potential windfall tax? Will it be the poor consumer, uh, one way or the other, or uh, what's sort of the ramifications of such a windfall tax?
2: You know, I'm not a tax expert, but I'm sure that you and I are going to pay for this ultimately, Andreas. You know, the bottom line is that it is, um, it would be a unnatural market event to tax. You know, to to place a windfall tax on um, E&P companies, right? They're essentially, you know, saying that they're they're um, saying that the market is not placing value where there actually is value. So that's just a distortion of economics to me you know, when fall taxes on e companies, we'll see how the stocks react. Um, it's going to be a really tricky to way to trade this. So, you know, I'm definitely on the edge of my seat looking for that headline now, now that the e companies have all reported blockbuster earnings. And we're going to see how the stocks react. You know, it might be something that's bearish stocks and bullish the commodity. <coughs> there might be a number of different ways to play this, but let's wait and see how the market reacts once the headline actually comes out.
1: So if we um, if we look at the price action and, for example, the refiners trade that you've been uh, absolutely spot on um, about already um, in, in the show today, um, this risk of a potential windfall tax uh, aimed at uh, potentially also the refiners, right? Um, what kind of price action would you need to see to take profit in that bet, Tony?
2: Man, you know, it's going to be a hard, it's going to be difficult to shake me out of that tree right now because the tree is growing my way. And so, you know, support levels that are, that I'd get shaken out at are way below the market now, right? We're putting a lot of distance between moving average support and last sale. That said, if Marathon were to, you know, curl over back below, say, I think around, you know, let's call it, let's, let's just look it up so we know what we're talking about here, you know down around $90 is going to be my trailing stop just like it always was right andreas so it's like i move my trailing stop up every time the stock makes a new high i'm going to surf the 200 day moving average with that trailing stop and hopefully not have to look at it for a while but if a, a if a windfall tax is announced and you know these are dramatically re- relocated lower you know on a break of trend line support i'd have to take my lumps and get out but my sense is is that a headline like that would probably knock all the e stocks and refiners into trendline support. And you'd probably see a whole lot of plain vanilla buyers at this point down at those levels. So it's going to be a shooting match, but we'll see what happens when the headline comes out.
1: Yeah, let's let's wait and see. And uh, ultimately, it's obviously also a question whether it's at all feasible to expect a windfall tax after the midterms. It obviously depends on the result next Tuesday. Tony, I'll try to sum up for the audience here. Uh, You're still positive on energy. Uh, And if anything, I'd actually say that you'd expect political tailwinds for that bet after Tuesday um, rather than the political headwinds that we're faced with right now for the long energy bet. And if anything, there is potentially a catch-up potential in the um, In the physical market, um, the uh, crude oil bet looks kind of tempting given the most recent price action. So uh, let's wait and see. But um, ultimately, you've been absolutely spot on this year. Energy is the place to hide.
2: Sure is. We'll see if that continues, Andreas. But my sense is into the end of the year, you know, the sectors that are up on the year and the sectors that are down on the year, that's just going to get exacerbated in the last two months. Right. That We've seen that happen time and time again, and it feels like we're set up for this year to finish similarly. So that's where my chips are stacked. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. And Tony, you know, I've made it my trademark to always conclude with a uh, meme in the daily briefing. Uh, And I wanted to provide the audience with a meme um, in relation to the job numbers that we've received today. New uh, high in uh, the job numbers, or at least a rebound in the amount of job openings in the uh, US uh, earlier today. Um, So everybody has been screaming recession, but I think the Fed... Uh, sips a bit of tea after these job numbers uh, they can move forward and continue hiking interest rates given those numbers uh, and therefore I perfectly agree with you right now Tony uh, it's a good idea to lean long in the value uh, in the value space of equities and um, energy is absolutely one of those sectors Tony once again a great pleasure to host you uh, always a pleasure to talk to you
2: great job Andreas you get better and better at conducting these interviews man that helped me out that was great
1: Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with more in the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We have George Gonzalez guesting the show, so I must watch as well. See you tomorrow.
2: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.